You've tuned in to Chaos to the Fly, a podcast for fans of the darkness and the supernatural by Greg Newbegin. If you'd like to reach out to provide feedback or say hello, send an email to info at chaostothefly.com or if you'd like to share an experience, send the details to stories at chaostothefly.com and it might be included on future episodes. Now, let's get down to business, shall we? Hey, Fly Folk, and welcome to episode 10 of series one of Chaos to the Fly. Thank you for joining me. I'm Greg Newbegin, as always, here to talk scary, spooky stuff. Now, this week is a little bit different. Well, it's not different, still the same. I've got the same three parts, but instead of a demon or something like that, I've chosen to look at Australian mythology uh, for various reasons. Me being Australian is obviously one of them. Uh, but I just wanted to try something a little bit different. So the first section will be less spooky, but perhaps more interesting. I don't know. We shall see. In the end, in reality, everything we're discussing here, whether it's demons or whatever, is potentially just myth anyway. It depends on what your myths, uh, sorry, what your beliefs are. Uh, so I had a bit of a think about it and I thought, yeah, let's just talk about all sorts of beliefs. That fits into the edutainment theme. So that's where we are this week. Last week, of course, we talked about Abaddon, an interesting demon. Uh, There was a ghost story from Ink Yellow, um, which was uh, a pretty interesting and lengthy story set in Athens, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, So thank you to Ink Yellow for supplying that. And lastly, there was a review of Three from Hell, the final movie in Rob Zombie's Psycho Killer trilogy, (laughs) basically, that was started with House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. I quite enjoyed that movie, but of course, it is not for everyone. Like I said, today we are talking about Australian Aboriginal mythology, which is pretty cool, pretty interesting. It's a lengthier one than usual for the edutainment section, so I hope you enjoy. Second up, we have a spooky story on a ship out at sea or a rig out at sea. Different story. Very, very kind of spooky. I hope you enjoy it. And last up, there is a review of the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Maggie. Very different kind of movie. Recommended. Hope you enjoy this episode and I'll see you on the other side. Australian Aboriginal Mythology. As I've mentioned, we're going to talk a bit about Australian traditional mythology. This is a little less scary, but it is still interesting nonetheless. I will do my best to be accurate and respectful, but please, if I do make any er errors, please excuse them. Of course, reach out and do let me know via info at chaostothefly.com. Now, while I have covered other cultures before, I haven't gone into this kind of depth. So, as an Australian, I'd like to do an acknowledgement first. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. I pay my respects to them and their cultures, and to elders both past and present. I'd particularly like to recognise the traditional custodians of the land upon which I live, 
the Wathawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. I pay respect to their elders, past and present. So given I have talked about other cultures before, why did I choose to do this acknowledgement? Basically, it is due to the nature of the world that we're currently living in. If we don't acknowledge history, we're doomed to repeat it. Indigenous Australians are the original Australians, and this should never be forgotten. Now, keep in mind the vast history of the Australian Aboriginal people. These people comprise a number of different tribes and peoples that have thrived upon the Australian continent for more than 50,000 years. The term Indigenous Australians includes the Torres Strait Islanders as well, who inhabit the islands between Australia and Papua New Guinea. As I understand it, the culture and beliefs of the Torres Strait Islanders, while similar to the Australian Aboriginal people, does differ slightly. I will be touching solely on the beliefs of the Australian Aboriginal people here, and even then, only broadly. And while I've referred to this episode as Australian Aboriginal mythology, keep in mind that these beliefs are still held by some Australians. Given the long history of the Aboriginal people and their separation by region and tribe, there are a number of differing beliefs, but the most well-known, and those that I will be covering here, refer to the Dreamtime and to the Rainbow Serpent. The Dreamtime, or the Dreaming, is a term that may have been misinterpreted in the past, but refers to the time of creation, a far distant age in the time of the gods, but it also refers to the time after all has ended. It defines the creation of the earth, the sky, the waterways, and the Milky Way, all of which can be seen with the naked eye. More recently though, dreaming is used more broadly and can be symbolic of almost anything, but always in terms of creation. For example, there is a kangaroo dreaming, which is likely to have been of interest to a certain lineage of Aboriginal peoples and their ancestors. Effectively, the belief structure is a form of animism, in which spirits are attributed to virtually everything that exists in nature. They're passed down from the elders and expressed through songs and paintings. These stories may differ between regions, but the process of them being developed in the dreaming remains. I should note that this is a very general overview of the dreaming as I understand it, and it includes probably many oversimplifications, but it is intended merely as an introduction. The Rainbow Serpent, then, is a very common aspect of the Dreaming, being considered a kind of creator god, and has common themes across Australia, although it should be said that not all regions describe the snake as a rainbow, and some do not even refer to it as a snake, but it's the core concepts of water that remain the same. More importantly, there are many myths involving the rainbow snake which differ from region to region. One tale tells of the rainbow snake falling from the sky and its impact creating a crater which it took for its home. And this is, in fact, the very Wolf Creek crater in the Wolf Creek series of horror movies. So there you go. Another myth tells of the serpent pushing boulders around the plains creating waterways throughout the wilderness. Others tell that rainbows themselves are simply the rainbow serpent itself moving from waterhole to waterhole. Whichever way you look at it, the rainbow serpent is a major aspect of Aboriginal belief structure and is featured prominently in the creation of the Australian landscape. Of course, 
We do have a whole lot of scary snakes in Australia, including some very large water pythons in historical record, which may have influenced part of the mythology. Keep in mind that with the Aboriginal people being part of Australia for tens of thousands of years, many myths told as part of the dreaming somewhat accurately portray historical events, including when Lake Eyre existed in a lush, fertile plain. For those of you that are not Australian, why is this significant? Well, now Lake Eyre is mostly a dry, salt lake and is surrounded by desert. Okay, so this has been a fairly gentle topic so far, so it's time to look at a couple of cryptids, even if only briefly. Firstly, there's the Yowie. The Yowie is basically Australia's Bigfoot, although it doesn't necessarily always have big feet. It's sighted in the outback, mostly in the eastern states. Of course, it's not called a Yowie everywhere, but that name has sort of embedded itself in modern Australian culture. There's even a Yowie branded chocolate made by Cadbury in Australia. It's not really clear where the name came from, but it seems to have been in use in the late 1800s and may have even once been Yahoo instead of Yowie, which was a term used for many early references in the 19th century. Australian historian Graham Joyner stated that the name Yowie actually only originated seemingly by accident in the 1970s and that Yahoo was the correct term. However, the word Yowie has taken on a life of its own. In more modern times, there have been several Yowie sightings, several in the 1970s and a few in the 1990s, with a surprising resurgence in the 2010s. Of course, the existence of the Yowie, or indeed the Yahoo, is yet to be proven. And lastly, most definitely, more importantly, there's the Bunyip. The Bunyip is... it's kind of undefined in terms of appearance. It's said to be a large creature, and one that hangs around swamps, rivers, creeks and billabongs. Basically any kind of waterhole. And for those that don't know, a billabong is an Australian term for a pond that's left behind after a river changes course. As such, the bunyip, which is loosely translated as devil or evil spirit, at least that's how modern Aboriginals tend to translate the word, is some kind of monster that, well, does bunyip things. Being a kind of cryptid, it's never really known to have killed or actually be a violent entity, but they are respected and feared. Some say bunyips resemble a seal or dog-like creature, while others suggest it's a long-necked creature with huge fat folds, tusks, and flippers. Sounds a bit like a walrus to me, but those are some pretty broad descriptions. Bunyip sightings were quite prevalent in the mid-1800s, particularly in the eastern states again. There were also some significant discoveries of bones at the time, many of which actually turned out to be fossilised dinosaurs. Sightings sadly decreased, and none of note have been reported since the late 1800s, but the bunyip still lives on in Australian hearts. Before I close out though, no self-respecting paranormal podcast would leave this topic without discussing Min Min Lights. These are a kind of light phenomenon that is often seen in the Australian outback but has been a part of Aboriginal myth for many hundreds, if not thousands of years. Essentially, these lights are often initially seen far off towards the horizon and resemble bright disks of light. Most often they're white, but sometimes they vary in colour. The primary aspect of the lights that are of interest, though, is that they don't seem to go away. They often appear to follow travellers for long distances. Some sightings have even reported that the lights have approached them and were noted to be bright enough to cast shadows. 
What they are is unknown, but of course it is possible that they're a kind of bioluminescence or simply due to the refraction of light. Whatever they are, they are the Australian version of the Will-O-Wisp or Fool's Fire. Truth be told, this is a very small sample of the myths and beliefs of Australia's first people. I'm sure my descriptions are inadequate or possibly even inaccurate at times, but I hope you've enjoyed this brief look into the long history of Australia. This haunted ship story comes to me from an anonymous source via the Reddit Ghost Stories subreddit. As a disclaimer, this story does contain sleep paralysis, amongst other things. However, the way it occurred and targeted an entire 15-man crew suggests that it was more than your garden variety. Again, it's kind of a lengthy story, but it was quite well written, so it is presented here almost verbatim. I work in the offshore oil and gas industry, or oil field for short. And the work I do often has us working with our equipment set up on board ships called offshore supply vessels or boats, which are owned by another company. Also, I live and work in Asia. We normally have a crew of 15 to 20 on the job site at any given time, and we don't have specific shifts. We just work whenever the requirement arises or the client requests, day or night. In most cases, this means we'll be working 24 to 36 hours straight. This one time, a client engaged our company to charter a supply boat and set up our equipment on board to do a job at an offshore drilling rig. Our equipment is huge, massive horsepower diesel-driven units. I think it's close to a thousand horsepower each, and pretty much occupy the whole deck of the boat. Things started up normally. We set up the equipment, which itself took about a week's hard work. We sailed out of port and we got to the drilling rig on schedule. There was some other operational stuff going on, so we waited on standby near the rig for a couple of weeks, floating about and killing time. And this is where the fun starts. I mentioned earlier we had about 15 guys on my crew. There were another 20 guys who made up the boat's crew. Plus the boat isn't that huge, so there's always another human being, probably within shouting distance. It started the night we got on location. At breakfast, a couple of my guys were complaining of feeling zombified and exhausted. They said they had a bad bout of sleep paralysis. Now this can happen occasionally, especially, or should I say as a direct result of, really hard physical exertion for long, prolonged periods. So the moment you collapse and have a good deep rest, your body can in fact experience what seems to be sleep paralysis. It's no biggie, since we just spent a whole week day and night rigging up heavy equipment and piping, so we shrugged it off and went back to sitting around shooting the breeze. After all, we had a couple of weeks of nothing to do on standby, so with plenty of rest it wasn't likely to happen again. We were wrong. The next night a few other guys had it. Then the following night a few other guys experienced it too. And every single night random guys experienced it. There was no pattern, there was no exception. Eventually, everyone had experienced it. Some reported being able to open their eyes and seeing a dark figure pressing down on them in their bunk beds. A couple more religious guys tried reciting prayers during the episodes, only to have the choking, pressing feeling intensify. Morale was taking a beating. Isolated cases in the past we could laugh off, since there was a reasonable explanation and correlation to the physical work we did. But this time, something was very wrong. 
The whole crew was getting it, and we had literally zero physical work to do at all. Still, we gave each other what moral support we could to get through the days and nights, but in the mornings we knew the tired, drawn expressions, the sunken eyes, the dark circles. We knew who it had come for the previous night. That's not all. If you've worked offshore, you'll know sometimes standby time is the hardest because you quickly run out of ideas to pass the time. So we got busy and found things to do. We started running through the preventative maintenance and startup checks on the equipment, running the unit so that the moment we got the green light from the client, we'd be ready to go at full throttle. It came at us there too. Strange sounds on deck amongst the equipment. I was on deck one evening after dinner with five other guys working on one of the diesel engines. Suddenly, a huge metallic boom rang out from the aft deck. It sounded like someone took a 10-pound sledgehammer and slammed it into one of the metal bulkheads. I got up to go aft and check it out, thinking it might have been a loose oil drum or one of the units not being shimmed properly. The supervisor grabbed my arm and said, Not now. Tomorrow. In daylight. I was about to protest, but seeing the look in his eyes, I backed down. In the morning... Me and the other guys went to check the aft deck. Nothing. Equipment skids were shimmed tight, everything secured tight as it should be. And the previous night, there was nothing at the aft deck area. But every night from then on, the same boom, the same place, without fail. Another thing, the vessel's crew refused flat out to say anything when asked about these things. Sure, they were friendly, they were great guys to work with, but when this topic came up, they simply clammed up tight. And weirdly enough, they also absolutely refused to ever come out on deck after nightfall. Daytime was fine, they'd help with any request at all, but after dark, nope. Want a spare part from the deck store during the day? Fill out forms, wait outside while the bosun goes and gets it for you, because nobody goes inside my store. After dark, it's a free-for-all though. The deck crew, not even the fussy bosun, would come out on deck. Go ahead and take what you need yourselves, just fill out the logbook. The final straw came once it was time to finally get ready for work. For context, we had an electrician who was a white American. His name was Jack. Awesome guy, chill, skeptical when it came to weird happenings. He was the one guy on the crew who could laugh off everything that happened and said we were just imagining things. So in a way, he helped us keep our sanity. This is important for later. Anyway, on another one of the nights, about two nights before we started the job for the client, I was out with a few guys preparing some chemicals for the job. To do this, we used a little air-driven diaphragm pump, fed by an air compressor which was located at, you guessed it, the aft deck. Kind of makes a shuck, shuck, shuck sound. Shuck, 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 shh. It stopped. The supervisor said, Hey, the compressor must have tripped out and run out of fuel. Minion 1, go check it. Minion 1, roger that. And off he went to check on the compressor, while everyone else continued doing other stuff. But two minutes later, Q, Minion 1, running, pale, out of breath, saying, No air, no air, no air. The supervisor asked him, what's going on? No air, no air. I kid you not, he really said it this way, but in a local dialect, not in English. The supervisor facepalmed. Ah, for fuck's sake. Minion 2, go check it out. Two minutes later, 
Minion 2, Pale as a Ghost. Uh, boss, you better come check this out for yourself. Everyone shared a sideways glance, and we all got up to check the aft deck, and lo and behold, the mighty little compressor was shut down. The key in the off position. The side vent flaps closed, and the excess pressure bled off. Damn funny, said the supervisor. You shut it down, and you closed it up perfectly. You want us to knock off for the night or something? Uh, no, boss. It was like this. I didn't touch anything. Minion One was nodding furiously, still incoherent. So I asked which Joker was dumb enough to shut the unit off while we were still using it, and then realization dawned upon all of us. The six of us were together the whole time. Nobody else was out on deck. They had to go past our work area to go aft. These two normally steady, solid guys were spooked as hell. I dare say, even with the humid heat and our thick coveralls on, all of us got the shivers and goosebumps that day. We calmly restarted the compressor again and silently trooped back to get our work wrapped up in record time, then back to the relative safety of our bunks. Whatever it was, it sure as hell understood standard operating procedure and operational best practices. Soon enough, the job started. The big diesel units were running at full throttle, let me tell you, it's a blast to hear the 3,000 horsepower choir sing. Everyone gave it their all, and we were done in about 24 hours straight. The client was happy, and it was time to sail home. We shut down the equipment, gave each other a pat on the back, and headed to the locker room. Keep in mind, it was about 2am at this point, but where's Jack? We found Jack, curled up in a ball in the locker room, in a tiny gap between the lockers and the wall. There was a mound of cigarette butts on the floor at his feet. He was rocking back and forth, chain-smoking furiously, which was kind of strange as he wasn't known to chain-smoke. And he was pale, shaking, with eyes wild, muttering over again. What the fuck, man? What the fuck did I just see? What the fuck was that thing? We heard what happened from our mechanic. He was with Jack at the aft deck, near the railing when they both saw a white, man-sized bundle fall from the drilling rig and into the sea with a loud, audible splash. Note there was a 30 metre drop from the rig floor to sea level. But hang on. These guys were standing right behind the diesel engines, which are 140 decibels loud, and both of them were wearing earmuffs. And yet they heard a splash? Jack was really excited, or maybe scared, thinking that it might have been a man overboard. He wanted to throw him a life ring and bring him back in. Suddenly, the mechanic grabbed Jack, pulled him back from where he was about to climb over the railing, and dragged him backwards. Jack started to argue, but then he saw something moving in the water. For context, it was dark. It was after midnight, remember. We were out in the open sea... The sea was choppy. If anyone fell into the sea in these conditions, good luck. But this thing that they saw, it was submerged and coming towards the boat, making a V-wave behind it as it came. Jack continued arguing there was a man afterboard as if in a trance. He needed to rescue the person, and he started climbing the rail again. At this point, the mechanic slapped him and said, Jack, whatever that is, it's not human. We're going now. Next thing we know, we find Jack huddled in the locker room out of his damn mind. He couldn't even muster a coherent sentence. It took him a couple of days to regain his composure after that incident. 
Thankfully, the journey back to port was short, it was only about 20 hours sailing time, and we were all too motivated to disassemble the equipment as soon as we reached the shore. We got the hell off that boat in record time. This is a long, long story, but it was one of the scariest and weirdest experience I've had in my whole career. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to Anonymous for sharing that story. Very much appreciated. Maggie. So, Arnold Schwarzenegger in a horror movie? Yep. Maggie is a dystopian, semi-apocalyptic kind of horror movie. It's a zombie movie that doesn't so much focus on the horror of the zombies themselves and the impending doom, but it focuses more on the human aspects of losing someone to a slow virus. Arnold plays a father looking after his daughter, who is bitten, and watches as she slowly succumbs to the disease. But it's more than just the plight of the father. It's the story of Maggie herself, and her own horrific future. In some ways, it's even a kind of coming-of-age movie. In other ways, it's a horror story from the perspective of the monster. There's a lot of little mini-tales that are told as part of the narrative, and at times, it's quite heartbreaking. How other people Maggie's age deal with their affliction. How other kids treat them. How other adults treat them. It's really quite a layered movie for such a simple premise. It's an emotional slow burn, though, right from the first minute. And if that's not your thing, I do urge you to persevere because there's something really special here. It's not a classic that's going to change the world, but it's really definitely worthwhile. In fact, for a serious Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, it's one of his best. He's not an action hero here. And this is no comedy. He's just a dad. It is slow, and it's upsetting at times, and for a horror movie that's about zombies, it's not really all that scary. There aren't that many zombies in it. But I'd call Maggie a must-watch for fans of horror, and just movies in general. It's a really good movie, surprisingly. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Not really longer than usual. It's about as, as long as all the other episodes, but uh, three very different topics. Yeah, why, why did I choose them? To be honest, I chose... I was going to talk about Aboriginal or Australian cryptids, uh, such as the Bunyip and uh, the Yowie and things like that. But we don't have that many cryptids. And there's not a lot of stories to them, really. Uh, what I talked about today is pretty much all there is about yaoi's and bunyips. Uh, I could have talked about drop bears and silly things like that, but hey, that's just a joke, really. But instead of looking for another topic, I noticed what's happening in the world at the moment. And I thought, you know what? Rather than just looking at a couple of Australian cryptids, maybe I should look at the beliefs of the original Australian people, the Aboriginal people, which, just like uh, African Americans, are 
not given perhaps the respect and acknowledgement that they have deserved over the last however many hundred hundreds of years. So I guess in this way, this is my way of paying some respects back to back to the Aboriginal people. And it's, it's not much, but that's really the reason I decided to, to choose that particular topic. The boat story is just brilliant. And I had forgotten about it for a few weeks. I was going through what had been shared with me and I found it and I just thought, why the hell haven't I shared this story sooner? It's a really, really spooky tale. It's very different and I absolutely love it. So I had to throw that one in there. Maggie, I just chose Maggie out of the list of movies that I've got in my backlog of reviews. And it's absolutely a a movie that people should see. I didn't want to talk a lot about it because I don't want to give anything away. I think it's really just worth watching. It is, it is slow, but it's just so good. Sit there with a whiskey and and watch that damn movie. Try not to cry. (laughs) So this week's topic, it's just the news, really. The world's a really scary place at the moment. I mean, what have we had this year? We had bushfires in Australia, followed by floods. Coronavirus has shut down pretty much the entire world. We're only just starting to come out of it, but mm. people talk about aliens and the uh, American government recognizing that certain videos were real. And, you know, that was actually recognized in the past. That was known. I don't think that's any any big news for, for this year. But then there is what's happening in America at the moment, the riots. It's terribly sad, terribly, terribly sad, and it should be acknowledged. We don't know where we're going from here. I I think we're not headed anywhere good anytime soon. Uh, I hope the riots in America start to calm down, but it's just reflective of a larger problem that is over there. Uh, and I hope the Black Lives Matter movement gets the support that it needs and the recognition that it deserves and that people actually start to realize that it's not just a certain group of people. It's not just the police. It's not just the government. It's not just whoever that needs to recognize that there is an issue with racism and equality in America and throughout the Western world. Uh, it is an issue that everybody needs to take up and wave the flag for. Of course, beyond that, there is potential uh, issues with finances, world, global finances. I expect that there's going to be a problem uh, in terms of great depressions around the world, and that's, uh, that is yet to be seen. Once we all start to come out of coronavirus and everyone starts to go back to work, and everyone, but everyone starts to need to pay their mortgages and everything again. I think we're going to start seeing some problems. So I don't think we're out of it yet. I don't think 2020 has stopped choking us all uh, just yet. Bad choice of words, maybe, but it is going to be to continue to be a bad year. So I hope you all are able to deal with it in your own way. Uh, I hope everyone out there is uh, safe and, and their families are safe and you are at least financially able to get by until things get better. And I know there's a lot of people out there who aren't, so uh, support your fellow man and woman. 
So I've decided to not do a secret topic this week. I think this episode kind of speaks for itself. No reviews either, but that's all well and good. We'll just continue on and close out this episode. So uh, I really enjoyed all of the topics that I had in this episode, and I didn't want to bring everything down at the end of this episode, but I kind of did. Uh, so how am I dealing? Let's let's just do one quick little thing. How am I dealing with the way the world is at the moment? I'm really getting into meditation, and that's helping me a lot. So uh, I, I recommend take a look at, at meditation and see if that helps you. If you need any tips on it, reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to help. I've been meditating for many, many years. I've just leaned into it really hard over the last month or so. So yeah, I'm happy to help people out there. Anyway, thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, please do like, subscribe, review, all of that wonderful stuff. And I'll see you next week for episode 11 of Chaos to the Fly. Chaos to the Fly might mostly be my little project, but it couldn't be what it is without the help of some key individuals and resources, so I'd like to thank the following. Thanks to Simon Exley for his brilliant music-making skills, providing all music used in the show. You can look for his work at inexilerecords.bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Mr. Mr. Yarn for his glorious voice work, which you can hear in the intro and outro. You can find him at disco underscore box on Twitter. And last but not least, thank you to Simon Sherry, who provided the excellent artwork for the show, including our spooky mascot. Follow Simon at Simon Sherry on Twitter. Before I go, however, I should mention that the sound effects were obtained from zapsplat.com. And if you're looking for me, you can find me at Mad Capsules on Twitter. Thanks for listening to another episode of Chaos to the Fly. It would really help if you could leave us a review on iTunes or simply share the podcast with others you feel may be interested. To keep the spooky conversation going, follow us at Chaos to the Fly on Twitter and Facebook. Back to work, flies. <laughs>